Good evening, everyone. Well, I'm, hey, Ron, um, teaching journalism in, at Fayetteville Christian School right now, and uh, uh, we are, we've been listening to some of the old broadcasts of Paul Harvey. Anybody remember Paul Harvey, news and comment? Yes. Hello, Americans. This is Paul Harvey. Stand by for news. <laughs> but uh, we watched a video of him today, and I noticed that whenever he give, would give a speech, he would always look at his watch for just a second before starting. So, uh, you know, on, on radio, you've really got to have a sense of the timing because you run up against those hard breaks. So I know you, you sometimes whenever you're out in the congregation, you're, you're wishing... Uh, I, I wish that he would come up against a hard break you know, <laughs> and uh, come to a close. And I know I'm probably the the, the most the, um, offending soul of all in that. But uh, we, we're going to cover a rather short psalm tonight, Psalm number 78. So if you would please open your Bible there with me. Psalm number 78. And it's, it's a psalm of Asaph or a psalm for Asaph. And I believe it was the last time that, that we were together, we spent a little bit of time uh, learning who Asaph was. Uh, he was the, the music leader appointed by David to lead the music of Israel. And so this is another, a maskil of Asaph. And maskil means instruction. It means instruction. So the, this is an instructional psalm. And as we read through it, we're going to see the instruction. And uh, we're, we're looking at instructions from the history of Israel. Instructions from the history of Israel. And uh, let's, and I was sort of teasing you about it being a short psalm. It's only 72 verses, but that's, so it's short compared to Psalm 119. So, but, but anyway, let's bow for prayer. Dear Father, we, we come before you this evening and want to thank you so much, Father. Your word is wonderful. Lord, I pray that as we uh, walk through this psalm together this evening, that the instruction in this psalm would sink into our hearts, that we would learn from looking at the failures of the people of Israel to avoid the same failures and the same pitfalls in our own lives, the same uh, pitfall of forgetfulness, pitfall of unthankfulness, uh, the, the pitfall of rebellion against you, Lord. I pray that as we go through here that we will become more sensitive to our tendency to fall into those things. So uh, Make us more aware of that, Father, so that we might set our hearts to pursue you and to pursue your will and to pursue your heart and attitude in, in our lives. So we ask your blessing on this time. Uh, ask your, your blessing on your word to our hearts. And we pray for this and ask you for it, that Jesus Christ would receive honor and glory. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, Psalm number, Psalm number 78. <clears throat> Uh, and we're going to take it a section at a time here. So we're going to take verses 1 through 8. And verses 1 through 8 uh, are, are the preface, the introduction to the psalm. Here we go. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. 
I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. So that's the... That's the um, introduction the introduction there he's going to set forth some things in in a parable and uh, uh, of course Matthew chapter 13 verse 35 quotes this passage uh, as a prophecy of of the messiah it actually says that that this is these are the words of the prophet that and that Christ was going to speak in in uh, parables and in 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 uh, dark sayings or in secret sayings that that have been from from the foundation of the world. But the idea of that is simply this. He is going to talk to us here about eternal principles. The eternal principles. The, the Proverbs, of course, uh, well, the, the word that's translated parable here is more frequently in the Old Testament translated proverb. But the idea is that whether you're talking about a parable or you're talking about a proverb, you're talking about eternal truth. Things that matter no matter which generation we're in. And already we've seen some, some very amazing things here, haven't, haven't we? You'll notice there from verses 4 through 8, he emphasizes teaching them to our children. Teaching them to our children. And now let's get into what it is that, that he wants us to, to uh, teach our children. Uh, verses, um, well, in verse, verse uh, 4... He, he points out that the Lord had given them a testimony. Verse 5 says he gave them these testimonies so, so that they could teach them to their children. And then in verse 7, he points out that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. You know, it's, um, uh, it's so common for people to hope in, in other things, isn't it? We want to hope in finances. We want to hope in the, the help of other people. We want to... We, we want to hope in the, the uh, physical circumstances of life. But we need to teach our children to hope in God. God is what is eternal. God is what is, is the one who is stable and trustworthy and dependable. We need to set our hope in him. Everything else is negotiable and everything else is vulnerable to, to fall. So, so we need to uh, do that. And to teach them to remember his works. To remember his works. Well, let's, con let's continue on. <clears throat> verses 9 through 11. In verses 9 through 11, he turns and talks about Ephraim. Turns and talks about Ephraim. Now, I want you to, you, you, may, re you may remember that whenever Jacob was on his deathbed and he was blessing, the, blessing his sons, blessing his sons, um, he, he gave to Joseph a double portion he gave to Joseph a double portion. Uh, one portion of his inheritance went to Ephraim. The other portion went to Manasseh. 
And so, so actually, and of course, the, the, the son that gets the double portion is the son that gets the portion of the firstborn. So that put, the fact that Jacob did that, put Ephraim and Manasseh into a higher position uh, in, in, terms of, uh, in terms of inheritance, higher than, than the other tribes. And sure enough, whenever they went into the promised land, Ephraim and, and Manasseh received a double portion of land. Joseph didn't receive one portion. Joseph's descendants received a double portion. So Ephraim... Ephraim became known as, that Ephraim became the name of the of the northern tribes in the book of Hosea for the sake of time I'm sorry we won't go over there and read it but Hosea chapter 5 verses 3 through 5 and then in in verses 12 through 14 uh, Hosea refers to Ephraim and Judah Ephraim and Judah Ephraim the the name for identifying the northern tribes and Judah for identifying the the southern tribe. Also, one of the characteristics of Ephraim was that he was strong. Uh, we will look at this one. Jo Joshua chapter seventeen. Come with me there to Joshua seventeen. Look at the description that's given here. How Joshua describes uh, Ephraim. Here in uh, Joshua 17, verses 17 and 18. Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people and hast great power. Thou shalt not have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood. Thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine, for thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. So he's emphasizing how strong Ephraim was, the, the tribe of Ephraim. But now let's, let's take a look at what, what Asaph has to say about this tribe of Ephraim. Verses 9 through 11. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he showed them. And this is really ironic. It's really ironic because he's, he's telling us that he's going to instruct us to set our hope in God and, and uh, to, to uh, teach our children to set their hope in God and to have a right heart for God. But here, immediately after he says that, here he turns to one of the most, the strongest tribes, physically strongest tribes, and he says, they turn back. They turn back. So this, this business about being faithful to the Lord is not a matter of how strong you are. It's not a matter of your personal resources or your personal strength. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. So they, they um, but they refused to walk in God's law and they forgot his works. But now, what works are we talking about? What are, the, what are the works of God that they forgot? Well, the works of God are listed here in verses 12 through 39. And we're going to take it a, a bit at a time. But just know that here in verses 12 through 39, we're looking at the marvelous works of God that the people of Israel forgot. They, for, they forgot these things. So let's, let's begin here in verse 12. Verses 12 through 16. How the Lord brought them out of Egypt and provided for them. I'd like, before we read this, I'd like to ask us to stop and think about this for just a moment. Enslaved by the most powerful nation in the world at that time. Building the treasure cities 
for the Pharaoh Ramses, and 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 there you are as as a slaves, uh, your whole family, your whole all the tribes there are enslaved to the most powerful nation in the world at the time, and yet God sent one man, Moses, to go and confront the Pharaoh, and then Moses with his with with the rod of God. Uh, brought about all of the judgments of God on the nation of Egypt and brought Egypt to its knees so that so that, that strong nation would release God's people. What, what a marvelous thing. Well, and it even says they forgot the marvelous works of God. Come with me to verse 12, verses 12 through 16. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. Zoan's another name for the land area of Egypt. Field of Zoan. He divided the sea, caused them to pass through. He, he made the waters to stand as a heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. So the Lord did that. He brought them out of Egypt and he made provision for them. And yet they forgot. They forgot that. And they sinned yet more against him. Let's look at their, their response to him. They, they sinned yet more. And, and uh, we're going we're gonna to take a look here at the, the nature of their sin against him. But here's the, here's the point. The Lord did these marvelous things for them. And they forgot about it. They forgot about it. And Asaph says that this is a psalm of instruction. A psalm of instruction. So I'm just going to pause right here for a minute. And let's make a little application. How are, how are we doing at remembering the wonderful things that God has done for us? That needs to be a major part of, of, of our life, doesn't it? To remember the wonderful things that the Lord did for us. Many of, many of the things that God did for us are recorded in his word. They're recorded in his word. The coming of Christ. His life. Our savior. His death on the cross in our place. His resurrection. The fact that he's ascended to heaven. And the fact that he's promised to return. God's wondrous works. Do we remember that in our day to day life? You know, when we forget about that and we focus just on what's happening right here, this minute in front of us, we start walking like and thinking like, acting like and talking like people in the world that don't have any connection to God. It's so important to remember who he is and to remember who, he, who we are and what he has done for us. But in addition, to, in addition to what Christ did for us, it's told in the scripture, can you go back in, in your own personal memory to see the things that the Lord has done for you? How he, how he convicted you and brought you to, to himself. You know, how he showed you that, that you were a sinner and in need of a savior. And how he drew you to Christ. And then how you came to a point of trusting him. And experiencing that freedom from the burden of sin. That, and of course we're talking about the salvation experience. That's a good thing to remember. That's a good thing to remember that. And then to think, just think back over the course of my life. Isn't that what he's doing here in this passage? He's just thinking back over the course of history. I think that we call that reflection. He's reflecting. 
on the wonderful things that God did for, for his nation. We need to reflect on the wonderful things God has done for us personally. And so it's good to take a trip down memory lane. And it's good to see how the Lord stepped in and provided this and how the Lord did that and how the Lord uh, has, has accomplished things in our life. And in the midst of our failures and in the midst of our disappointments, in the midst of our frustrations, the Lord brought us through those things. And the Lord has been changing us. Uh, the Lord does work on us, doesn't he? You know, I think I'm probably not the only one that that finds himself awake in the wee hours of the morning with some issue on the mind that the Lord wants to get straightened out in the in the heart. You know, that's the chastening of the Lord, chastening of the Lord, that and and how the Lord uses circumstances to get our attention, to, to turn things over to him. Anyway, those trips down memory lane, the problem is that for, for the people of Israel, they didn't do that. They forgot the wonderful things that God had done for them. Let's take up in verse 17. Verses 17 through 32 go together because it, after God made this wonderful provision to bring them out of Egypt, to provide them water in the desert, to provide them the shade of the cloud and the sun and the fire at night and to, and to provide water from the rock. Wow, you know, if, they were, if somebody were to make a movie of Moses hitting the rock, pow! Oh, it's not going to be a little trickle. It's going to be like the Mississippi River has flooded its banks. <laughs> So, but let's continue. Verse 17. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking him, by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out, the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven, men did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. So in spite of their complaining and in spite of the fact that they were not trusting in him, he still provided for them. But, but although the Lord did all of these things, still... They believed not in God, and they trusted not in his salvation. Verses 26 through 32. He gave them flesh to eat. Not only did he give them water out of the rock, not only did he provide them the manna, but he gave them flesh to eat. Now, flesh, of course, um, that's, we, that's what we call meat, isn't it? Uh, but uh, the... Our King James Version refers to any kind of food as meat, but, we, but we've narrowed it down, haven't we, to meat is flesh, you know, hamburger or, or a steak or, or a pork chop or something, that's, that's meat. But, but uh, in the scripture, that's called flesh. Anyway, let's go here to verses 26 through 32. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, 
and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon, upon them as dust, and feathered fowl like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitation. So they did eat, and were well filled. And he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust. So, you know, that's, that's something that, that's an important lesson to learn about lust, isn't it? You don't, you do not make lust go away by satisfying it. You don't make lust go away by satisfying it. The only way that lust goes away is by starving it. So, so they did eat, were filled. He gave them their, their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust. But while their meat was yet in their mouth, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them. Okay, let me suck my tummy in here. <laughs> but, 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 but those, those that obviously had been given over to, to their lust. And not only them, but he smote down the chosen men of Israel. Those that were looked upon as being, ah, if you want to go, if these are the ones you want to send into war. These are, these are the ones that are, that are, their bodies are sculpted, you know, they're in perfect physical condition. They died too. For all this, they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. They sought the Lord whenever they had been punished, but their heart still was not right, even though they went through these things. Let's continue on, verses uh, 33 through 37. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity, and their years in trouble. When he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and inquired early after God. They remembered that God was their rock, and the high God was their redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. So they, they, they paid the Lord lip service. In returning to him. And whenever they were in trouble, they were real good at calling on the Lord for, for some help, but their heart was not really with him. Come with me to Numbers chapter 21. We'll see an example of this in Numbers 21, where they were, uh, they were complaining about, about the way, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among them. And it says here in, in verse 4, Numbers 21, 4, they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among them, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses. Okay, so much people died, right? Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. 
And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So it looked like, ah, they have turned to the Lord. They've, it looks like, ah, they've turned to the Lord. But just go over a, a couple of chapters. Just come over a, a couple of chapters to chapter 25. Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. They called the people unto the sacrifices of their God, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. There was no changing the hearts of these people. Even though they would confess, we sinned, we, you know, we, we sinned, you know, pray for us, etc. But th their heart was, was not right with the Lord. I want you to come with me to the book of Acts chapter 7 to see how, to see how Stephen described the people of Israel there in, in the wilderness in, in regards to their relationship to God. Acts chapter 7 and verses 42 and 43. He says, Then... We'll jump in at verse 42. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, this is from the book of Amos chapter 5. O ye house of Israel, have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yea, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Rimphan, figures which he made to worship them, and I will carry you away into Babylon. So while they were while they were on the one hand offering sacrifices to God after they had built the tabernacle and all the garments for the priest and received instructions for all the offerings, they were doing that publicly, but in private they were worshiping idols. The heart was not right. Their heart was not right with him. Okay, let's let's go and, and uh, to verse 37. Their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in their covenant. Boy, that's an instruction for us also, isn't it? They were all together in the, in the wilderness, right? They, they, were, they all passed through the Red Sea. They, they, they all ate the manna. They all drank from, from, the, uh, from the rock that Moses smote, right? They were all on their way to the promised land, but the heart was not right. Is it possible to be right in the center of church, right in the center of everything that's going on, and yet the heart is not really where it should be? The heart is not right. This is a psalm of instruction, isn't it? It's a psalm of instruction for, for anybody that reads it. Let's, let's continue. Verse 38, but, there's one of those contrasts, isn't it? <clears throat> They were this way. They didn't have a heart for God. They didn't believe in the Lord. They were grumbling. They were complaining. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. So he didn't, he didn't wipe them out completely. 
You know, there was a time that the Lord was going to wipe them out, but Moses said, Lord, don't, don't wipe, don't, don't take your, don't wipe your people out. You know, take my name out of your book, you know, let, let them live. So the Lord listened to the intercession of Moses and he spared the children of Israel. Well, let's, uh, let, let's continue on here. Uh, he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Wow, what a description of us. What a description. Look at, he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Have you ever thought about yourself like that? I'm just flesh. I'm a wind that's going to pass away and I'm not coming back. Wow, what a, what a description. But, you know, that's so important for, for us to remember. We're really, not, as, um, as I've heard my, my grandson say, um, yeah, sometimes I think I'm all of that and a bag of chips beside. <laughs> but we're really not all of that. We're really not all of that. The Lord is the one that's all of that. How oft did they provoke him? Uh, what what now we're going to see what it is that they forgot what did they forget how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert yea they turned back and tempted God and limited the God of Israel boy you can't just have to stop right there for just a moment do I limit God do I think well the Lord can do this or that or the other thing but the Lord can't step in and, and make a difference here no let's be careful not to limit God Let's, let's have a concept of God that matches the Bible because the Bible is God's revelation. Limited the God, the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day he delivered them from the enemy. How he wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan and turned the rivers into blood and their floods they could not drink. He sent divers sorts of flies among them, which devoured them and frogs, which destroyed them. He gave also their increase unto the caterpillar and their labor unto the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore tree with frost. He gave up their cattle also to hail and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his anger. He spared not the soul from death. He gave their life over to the pestilence. He smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength in the tabernacles of Ham. They forgot all of that. They forgot all of those manifestations of the greatness and the, and the power of God over the most powerful nation in the world. So they, they forgot. They forgot that. But made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them on safely so that they feared not. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. Of course, that's talking about the Red Sea, isn't it? So, so they forgot how the Lord had brought them out of Egypt, all of his power, all of his signs, and then how he brought them out. And, and not only did he devastate the land of Egypt, but he wiped out the Egyptian army at the Red Sea. They forgot all of that. They were just thinking about what's happening right now. What's happening? We want something to eat. We want something to drink. We want, we want flesh to eat. 
and and we it would you know and, and we, we know they wanted to go back into Egypt where they thought life was so much easier. They didn't think that when they were there, but but looking back, they they thought it was so great because they forgot what the Lord had done for them. The reason that we forget things is that we we become preoccupied with the present. Sometimes we become so preoccupied with the present that we forget things that are even bigger. And and um, if I had a coin in my pocket right now, I would use it, but I don't have one. But if I did, I could take a penny and hold it up right here in front of my eye and block out all of the people over here in the sanctuary. So that penny would be bigger than all of you all. Yeah, because I'm so focused on it that I can't see you. And that's that's how we become sometimes, isn't it? We become so focused on this particular circumstance or this particular situation that it blocks out all the wonderful truths that we know about God, all the wonderful things of the Lord, all the great things God has done for us. I guess the really scary thing about this whole this whole psalm is that we can look in there and we can we can we can see ourselves in the children of Israel, can't we? Their short term, their short memory there. But in spite of that, in verse fifty four, beginning in verse uh, verse fifty four and going down through uh, going down through verse fifty six, it says. He cast out the heathen also. I'm sorry, verse 54. He brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which his right hand had purchased. And of course, his sanctuary in this mountain is Zion. Zion, the, where, the, where the house of God is to, be, is to be built. Zion there is his sanctuary, his holy place. He cast out the heathen also before them, divided them an inheritance by land, made all, and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. So he brought them through the wilderness, took them into the land of Canaan, got them all set up and, and divided out their inheritance by line. All the borders were laid out and you would think, ah, and they lived happily ever after. But no... The Bible gives us a true account of what humanity is like. Outside of Christ, outside of being born again, outside of the coming of the kingdom of God, we're not going to live happily ever after. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High and kept not his testimonies, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. And they turned aside like a deceitful bow or, you know, a bow, a bow that you, you shoot it and you think, oh, that's going to go and hit the target. But because the bow is, is distorted, the, it doesn't hit the target. My grandson, Dakota, is very good about, or uh, Benaiah, is very good about making those deceitful bows. You know, he'll get a, you know, get a stick and piece of elastic and put on there and, and get the arrow and put it in there. And boy, he thinks he's going to hit the target. And the, and the arrow goes <laughs> off to the side there. So they provoked him. They turned from him even after they were brought through the wilderness and into the promised land. They provoked him to anger with their high places. And of course, that's the idolatry of the children of Israel when they were settled in the land of Canaan. Provoked him with their high places, moved him to jealousy with their graven images. 
When God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent where he placed, which he placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. And of course, that's, that's talking about when the, the Ark of the Covenant was taken into the land of the Philistines. He gave his people over also unto the sword and was wroth with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given to marriage. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. So that's it. That's it. Whether it's coming through the wilderness or being settled in the land, the heart of the people was not right with the Lord and they came under, under God's judgment and God's chastening. But that's not the end. That's not the end. In human terms, that's where it ends. But look at the finish of this psalm. The finish of this psalm. Let's, let's take a look here uh, at verses uh, 65 to 72. Then the Lord awakened as one out of sleep and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. So the Lord woke up ready for action. And we saw in Psalm number 73, verse 20, that on the day of God's judgment, the Lord awakens and he has contempt for his enemies and obliterates them, destroys them. And it says in, in verse 66, he smote his enemies in the hinder parts. He gave them a spanking. Of course, that was much more than a little spanking, wasn't it? He destroyed them. He put them to a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused, get this, he smote his enemies, those of the Canaanites round about. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but instead, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like high palaces, like the, uh, like the earth, which he hath established forever. He chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes great with young. He brought him to feed Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. So ultimately, the Lord's solution was to bring in the shepherd, to bring in the man that had the shepherd heart, shepherd's heart, to, to teach the people. And of course, ultimately, that's the good shepherd, isn't it? Some of the instructions that we see in this psalm. Number one, in that very first section, he talked about teaching their children. I'm telling you these sayings so that you can teach them to your children, so that they will teach them to their children. So one of the major instructions of this psalm is teach our children. Teach our children. And the best way to make sure that's done is for mom or dad to sit down with those children right there and to instruct them. Don't trust that they're going to be taught by, by watching Superbook or Bible Man or, or just by, you know, hearing <coughs> coming to Sunday school or, or whatever. Those are great. Those are good. Those are beneficial. The kids are going to learn a lot. But at some point, Mom and dad need to sit down with those children and talk with them about the things of the Lord and make sure they're getting it. Teach the children. Some ideas that are repeated in this psalm are the need to hope in God. 
And three times in, the, in this psalm, it, it, it points out how the children of Israel forgot. They forgot the wondrous works of God. They were so focused on their lusts and so focused on the circumstances of their life at that moment, they forgot all the magnificent, wondrous, marvelous works of God. Let's not do that. And also they failed to believe in the Lord. They just reached a point where they weren't trusting God to take care of them. They were believing in their circumstances. They were believing that they had a better plan than simply to rely on the Lord and obey his commandments. What an instruction for us. And several times it points out in verse 17, verse 40, verse 56, and verse 58, it points out they provoked God. They provoked him. And of course, to provoke simply means to make somebody mad. They made him angry by their disobedience to him by their lack of trust in him. So just a couple of solutions. One is in the very beginning of this, he says, he points out that, that, they, that they would set their hearts aright. We need to make sure that our heart is set aright. We need to examine ourselves and make sure that our thoughts and our, our attitudes are, are right with the Lord. Ezra, of course, Ezra, it says in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, that he prepared his heart to seek the Lord. Also to remember God's work. But ultimately, the solution is the shepherd. David and his kingdom ultimately failed, didn't they? David's son, Solomon, turned into an idolater. And then David's grandson, um, Rehoboam, uh, divided, divided the kingdom by his, by his harsh attitude. But there's coming a shepherd that's going to bring in the kingdom. And he's the one that's going to set everything right. I, I want to close here with John chapter 10. John chapter 10, uh, verse 10. Where Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep have I which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So are you one of the good shepherd's sheep? Are you hoping in God? Are, are you remembering his works? Are we believing in him daily for the things that we need? And ultimately, as he pointed out at the beginning of this psalm, are we teaching, are we showing his word to this generation? That's, that's the main need of this generation is to know God's truth and to know